this evening we'll be looking at the first five verses. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Let us pray. Again, Father, we thank you for your word and for the light that it shines upon our path. We pray that we would not stumble, but that we would handle your word correctly, that we would study to show ourselves approved, that we would rightly divide the word of truth. We ask that you would guide us by your spirit as we look at this passage and its implications in our lives for your glory and for our good. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, I heard a, a phrase, an adage, He who forbids what God allows will soon allow what God forbids. At the time, it seemed rather catchy. But uh, you know, over the years, as I've observed what goes on in different churches, what's gone on in the history of the church, I think that um, perhaps whoever coined this phrase didn't quite get it right. That actually he's talking about two different groups entirely. Uh, those who forbid what God allows are not known for allowing much at all. And those who allow what God forbids are not known for abiding by the Word of God at all. Really have two different groups that we're familiar with. In the first case we have what we would call Legalism, often associated with fundamentalism in our day. And the second, we have liberalism, often associated with mainline denominations who, who no longer hold to the Word as being the infallible and authoritative Word of God. So, what Paul is talking about here and, and warning Timothy to be on guard is the former category, those who forbid what God allows. And he, it is interesting that he links this behavior that is so often associated with a, a, a self-made righteousness within the church. He actually ties it to apostasy, to falling away from the faith. So I, I don't know that we make that, um, that distinction or we've ever made that distinction very clear in our own lives and our own observations because, frankly, evangelicalism tends toward the denying side of the equation or of the spectrum. Churches that we've been in, churches of which we're familiar, tend to say what you cannot do more than what you can do. And this is put forward from the pulpits in terms of holiness and keeping oneself unstained from the world. The idea being that if you, um, 
Seal up your congregation in an airtight, hermetically sealed cocoon. They will be safe. That's not Paul's teaching. It is not prevent us from defilement to completely avoid that which God has created for our good and for our enjoyment. And I don't know that uh, many Christians who are in churches like that, many pastors who are in the pulpits would appreciate being told that they are actually participating in the hypocrisy of liars, that their consciences are seared as with a branding iron, and that they are actually the source of a falling away from the faith, an apostasy being led in the guise of holiness of living and sanctity of life. But we shouldn't be surprised. Paul says that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. And it seems to me that uh, it's a perfectly reasonable uh, method of his to deny God's people the enjoyment of what God has granted them. Paul describes man-made religion in Colossians chapter 2, and he summarizes it under three headings. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And immediately he denies the power of such asceticism, such religion. He says, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement, but he concludes they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So here we have, in the latter, latter days, or in later times, the, the Greek literally reads in verse 1 of chapter 4, some will fall away, some will apostatize from the faith, and the nature of their apostasy will be the denial of marriage and that of partaking of foods. Foods, obviously, was a major issue in Paul's day, more so perhaps than in ours. Um, you had, of course, the Jewish food laws on the one hand. On the other hand, you had within the, the, the Gentile communities foods that had been sacrificed to idols. And these are two aspects of food that you'll read about in Paul's letters, Romans, 1 Corinthians, for example, um, also Colossians, and, and here in 1 Timothy. And we're going to be dealing with some of that uh, briefly tonight. But again, as with this morning, I want to point out that Paul's emphasis here is not on a legal code by which we must live, a do not, a do not, a do not, but rather showing us that God has made all things available to us, those of us who know and believe the truth. That would be those of us who are in Jesus Christ. But we recognize, as we ought to, that our knowledge is not yet fulfilled. It is not yet complete. Paul says we know now is in a mirror dimly, and that each one of us is at a certain place in our understanding of what God has set forth for us. And we'll be talking about that because what this really deals with is the individual believer within the church and his or her conscience. Conscience is very important to Paul. He talks about these men as those whose own consciousness have been seared. These are men who, who demand of the congregation a certain behavior that by the use of the word hypocrisy, they probably do not observe themselves. A sacrifice and denial on the part of the people that they themselves will not adhere to. Jesus speaks of the Pharisees 
In the same way, in Matthew chapter 23, he says, And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. This is religious oppression. And I think it can be said that whenever a pulpit turns oppressive, the fault lies as much with the congregation as with the preacher. Paul counsels us and even commands us in Romans 14 that we are not to put up with this type of oppression. We are not to put up with this type of hypocrisy and of lies that denies us the enjoyment of what God has created for our good. And so it's an important teaching even today when, when foods are not really an issue anymore. There, there are some still um, who, within the church, of course, who forbid the use of wine or of other alcoholic beverages. Perhaps that's, that's more of an abiding problem, although I don't think the problem was the same in, in Paul's day as it is today. But, of course, they're, 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 the justification of that is that you have no appearance of sin, that nobody could even think that you might be an alcoholic, for example. I don't know that that we should go through a list of the things that, that um, comprise legalism today. I think we've all been touched by that. Things that we're not allowed to do, places that we're not allowed to go, people that we're not allowed to associate with. They all fall under this category of denying to God's people what He has created for their good. I, I do want to deal with this phrase in verse 1, that in the later times some will fall away. Paul says the Spirit explicitly says, and commentators are in disagreement as to what that first clause means, the Spirit explicitly says, some believe that Paul is referring back to Jesus' Olivet Discourse, recorded in Matthew 24 and 25 and Mark 13, where Jesus basically says that there will be a falling away. And in our day, under the influence of dispensational teaching, We've been told that this apostasy will take place before the end, before the coming of Christ at the beginning of the millennial reign. And we've also been told that we don't really have to worry too much about it because the church will be raptured. Okay? At least during that time, before that time, in the middle of that time. But it is the great tribulation. But Paul's words here is, is not the word that refers to the end times. That word is eschaton from which we get the word eschatology. He is really just referring to later times, which everybody is going to experience. And he, and he talks to Timothy in such a way as to indicate that these later times are here. Now, in Timothy's day in Ephesus, he says, be on your guard, because this is what you're going to be facing. And if present in Timothy's time, then they're still present in our time as well. As I said, it is simply the specter of religious leaders enforcing oppressive demands and sacrifice and denial upon the flock, saying what they can and cannot do, and really repeating in their own words and in their own minds that thou shalt nots of the Ten Commandments, expanding them to cover things that are freely given to be enjoyed by God. In verse 4, he summarizes, Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected 
If it is received with gratitude, again, we get back to that, that central feature. But in religion, Christianity as well as Judaism, there is a desire to control and to keep order and to make sure that things are done, as we've said before, decently and in order or according to the book, according to the letter of the law. Jesus condemns the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 saying that they are neglecting the commandments of God and upholding to the traditions of men. And that's what happens. It happens in, in, in every single congregation that has ever existed. Perhaps it is in, in our own congregation to some extent. Sadly, when we're in the midst of it, when we're in the midst of these traditions, we consider themselves to be sacred and we don't see them. And this is why I said that if, if error, if oppressive doctrines of self-denial, doctrines of demons, Paul calls them, emanate from any pulpit, then the fault is as much with the congregation as it is with the preacher. Because we are all admonished to be as the Bereans, noble-minded, searching the scriptures to see if these things be so. Therefore, if, if, if I were to to deny the, the partaking of anything that God has created. It would be the responsibility of the congregation to look to the scriptures and to say, Chuck, that, that is not right. God has given these things for us to enjoy. They are sanctified even by the means of the word of God and of prayer. So this is an appropriate passage for this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving but it is actually a pattern of life that should be present in every Christian and every congregation. Things are sanctified. They're made holy through prayer and through the Word of God. I think there are only two obstacles that stand between us and the enjoyment of anything that we encounter in God's creation. The first is the Word of God. Anything that is declared by God to be sin is in fact a corruption of creation. It does not constitute God's creation, but rather a defilement of God's creation, and therefore it cannot be good for the child of God. And so we're, we're not going to swing the pendulum to the side of the liberals that says anything goes, anything that makes you happy is fine. Because the Bible is clear onto those things that please him and those that are an abomination to him. We cannot be thankful and partake with thanksgiving that which God has condemned as being contrary to his will or to his nature. Now that leads into the whole realm of ethics. And it's not always clear to each one of us what is in concert with his will and what is in conflict with it. And so that's the second obstacle to each one of us enjoying what God has created and that is when the believer is not firmly convinced in his own mind. Again, we're talking about consciences here. Our church, Fellowship Bible Church, does not have a conscience. We each have consciences. And our consciences are to be clear before God. They are not to be dictated by another and they are certainly not to be seared by the devil, but they are to be guided by God's word through faith. And Paul makes it clear in his teachings in Romans 14, 
that not every believer's conscience enables him or her to partake of what others may partake of freely. He boils it down to the individual standing before his Lord Jesus Christ, and that each man may be convinced in his own mind, Romans 14, verse 5. But one thing he does say in that passage, in that chapter, that it is not the business of the church or of other believers to dictate the conscience of any individual. That is what's going on here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The denial of marriage and the advocacy of abstaining from foods is, is dictating the conscience and how a man or a woman stands in his or her conscience before God. Paul, for his part, had a clear conscience. And in Romans 14, verse 14, he says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean, is unclean in itself. See, Paul's conscience enabled him in the setting of Romans 14. It enabled him to eat meat, even meat sacrificed to idols, to drink wine, and to partake of the things which he saw and believed that God had given him to enjoy. The word of God did not forbid it, and his conscience allowed it, and therefore he was free. And yet he goes on to say, but, if, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Not because it is unclean, but because he cannot partake with a clear conscience in faith. And so those are the two obstacles that we can, we can deal with. One, the word of God. Those behaviors, those activities that God forbids in His Word are sin. And we cannot ever give thanks, true Christian gratitude, for that which God condemns in His Word. So we cannot say, oh, I, I, I can do this because I'm thankful for it. I can participate in this sin because I'm, I'm thankful. I can, I can rob my company because I'm thankful for the extra money. You know, you can't, you can't justify it that way. If God's word condemns it, it cannot be sanctified by God's word. And you cannot partake of it truly with gratitude. But then there is also that obstacle, that, that parameter that allows for each one's individual growth in the Lord. And that is your conscience. But again, Paul says, let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. It is there forbidden that any man should make this distinction for another. It is not the place of any Christian, save perhaps a father to a child. During that child's minority, it is not the place of any Christian to tell another what they cannot or they can partake of with a clear conscience and with the freedom of faith. But it is also forbidden for any believer to allow this to happen. Again, we each stand alone at the judgment seat of Christ to give account for the deeds done in the body, including those things that we do with our own body. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. Each man, each woman, each believer. And the word is open to each one of us. And as you study, for example, we, we've gone through this in our own congregation with the issue of a split tray in communion. And I imagine that there are still members of our congregation who are not clear in their conscience as to whether or not it is okay for them to take wine 
which is why we have the grape juice. But it, it shouldn't end that way. Paul never intended, in Romans 14, when he talked about the weak and the strong, he gave his own testimony because that is his goal for each one of us, to be fully convinced in the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean, but rather that God has given us all good things to enjoy. He didn't intend for those weak Romans to stay weak, but that each one of us would constantly be searching the scriptures, that our consciences might be guided with light and not darkness. But they cannot be allowed to just atrophy. We cannot just settle on our lees and our traditions and say, well, this is the way we've always done it and I'm not going to bother to think about it. Because as our consciences are conformed to the mind of God, we are sanctified. Our minds are guided by God's word and his will. And that is his intention for us. So if there are things that are forbidden, perhaps in your, in your extended family, you have believers who, who forbid the use of wine or going to certain places or partaking of certain things or playing cards, you know, things like that. Paul's very clear, I think, that out of an attitude of love and not causing your brother to stumble, that when you're in their presence, you would not do those things. But they do not have the power or the authority to dictate over your conscience. And if you happen to hold to some of those things yourself, that there are things that are not forbidden by God in His Word, and yet you do not have a clear conscience to partake of them, then it is your duty to search the Scriptures and to find resolution of that matter. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where the issue once again was meat. It was meat sacrificed to idols. He said, if I partake with, with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? You see, that's the individual's freedom of conscience before the Lord. If the word of God does not condemn and my conscience allows, then who is it that condemns me? In fact, he doesn't use the word condemn, he uses the word slander. Because that's what it is. When we speak ill of a brother or a sister, because they are able to do which, that which our conscience will not allow us to do, that is slander. And we should go back to Romans 14, where Paul says, Who are you to condemn the servant of another? To his own master he will stand or fall, and stand he will, for the Lord will make him stand. So why do we have all these rules? Why did the Pharisees have all their rules? Well, so that we wouldn't sin. The more rules we have, the more protection we have against sin. Because sin to us is the commission of an act that we deem to be unworthy of God, or at least unworthy of our own opinion of righteousness. Well, Paul says this is, this is a pretty dark-hued sin right here. He calls it the doctrine of demons. He says it's the, it's the doctrine of liars and hypocrites, and it leads to a falling away from the faith. Is that not sin? By, by denying others what God has freely given them, in the name of preventing them from sinning, we are sinning. In fact, we are denying the faith. Because we do not understand who our Father is and what He has given us freely 
to enjoy. However, it is always the caveat, this is not a license to sin. It is always the attitude whenever Paul's teachings on grace, which are phenomenal, even his own day, there were those who said, well, let us sin more, that grace might abound. I don't know that we've ever heard a sermon that we would respond that way. That God's teach, or Paul's teaching on grace was so phenomenal that there were those in his midst would posit additional sin, that God's grace might abound. And Paul leaves it to the Holy Spirit. He leaves it to the nature of, of regeneration. He leaves it to the power of the Spirit to sanctify the believer and simply says, May it never be. How can we who have died to sin continue in it? And so, this is not a license to sin, really does not need to be said. We've already said that that which is forbidden by God's word cannot be allowed by his people. And so, our consciences can be and should be developing toward a freedom to enjoy that which God has freely given us. And what does that include? Well, he said, everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected. Everything is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Paul claims that God has richly supplied us with all things to enjoy. In this letter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you can give thanks to God for it, if it is not forbidden to you from Scripture, in which case... If you can give thanks to God for something that He has forbidden, you have a bigger problem than, what, than that which you are enjoying. But if you can give thanks to God for it, let no man take it from you. Let no man deprive you of the joy and pleasure of receiving it with gratitude from His hand. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we might be set free by the truth of the Apostle's words, that you have created the universe for the enjoyment of man. In your image and now in your Son, Jesus Christ, that you have opened up the storehouses of your grace and bestowed upon us the treasures of your creation, giving us all things to enjoy. Father, we know that there is corruption in the world and the things that you have created good have been ruined and destroyed. And we ask, Father, that by your Spirit and by your Word, you would teach us that which is sin, knowing that our hearts, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, will give us and give our consciences the warning against that which is forbidden. But, Father, I pray that we might be resistant that we might even be immune by your grace to those who would oppress us with do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Father, we claim the victory over, the, over sin and the flesh through Jesus Christ alone and not through our own activities and our own asceticism. And so we pray with thanksgiving that you would bless all good things to our use the things that you have placed in our hands may we receive with gratitude and with faith. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand for the benediction in um, Philippians.
chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.